As the crowds gathered before Pilate's house that morning, he asked them, Which one do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Messiah? He knew very well that the religious leaders had arrested Jesus out of envy. Just then, as Pilate was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent him this message, Leave that innocent man alone. I suffered through a terrible nightmare about him last night. Meanwhile, the leading priest and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas to be released and for Jesus to be put to death. So the governor asked again, Which of these two do you want me to release to you? The crowd shouted back, Barabbas! Pilate responded, What then should I do with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? They shouted back, Crucify him! Why? Pilate demanded. What crime has he committed? The mob roared even louder. Crucify him! Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere and that a riot was developing. So he sent for a bowl of water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. The responsibility is yours. And all the people yelled back, We will take responsibility for his death. We and our children. So Pilate released Barabbas to them. He ordered Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip, then turned him over to the Roman officers to be crucified. Some of the governor's soldiers took Jesus into their headquarters and called out the entire regiment. They stripped him, put a scarlet robe on him. They wove thorn branches into a crown, put it on his head. And they placed a reed stick in his right hand as a scepter. Then they knelt before him in mockery and, and taunted, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit on him and grabbed the stick and struck him on the head with it. When they were finally tired of mocking him, they took off the robe, put his own clothes on him again. Then they led him away to be crucified. Our Father and our God, it must have pained your heart tremendously, more than words could ever express, for you to witness what transpired on that dark, dark day so many, many years ago. And as I come before you, Father, today, no doubt I feel like a minor leaguer entering the major league, having to give an account, a recount of what transpired that day. And so, Lord, I need your strengthening, your enabling. And I ask, O oh Lord, that you would open our eyes today that we may behold the very form, the very dying form of him who suffered on that dreadful day for each and every single one of us gathered here today and so many more. Open our eyes, Lord, that we may see Jesus the way you would desire us to see him today and reflect on his suffering for us. For it is in his precious name we pray. Amen. After being dragged back and forth across town all night long, 
falsely accused in six illegal trials, verbally abused, viciously beaten, having a crown of thorns brutally pressed into his skull, cruelly ridiculed. Jesus was forced to walk a distance of some 2,000 feet to the hill where he would be crucified, called the place of the skull, Golgotha. Despite his weakened physical condition due to the lack of rest and tremendous loss of blood, he was no doubt compelled, forced to carry his own heavy wooden cross, as was customary for all condemned criminals to do. Since it was obvious that his physical condition made the task virtually an impossibility for him to continue all the way, the soldiers forced a man named Simon of Cyrene to complete the journey, to carry the cross the rest of the way. That 2,000-foot journey began from the headquarters of the Roman army and would have ended at Golgotha. And it was called the Via Dolorosa, in Latin, the way of grief, also known as the way of sorrows, the way of suffering, but also the painful way the scene was certainly a cause for deep sorrow. Just as the prophet Isaiah had prophesied hundreds of years before, he was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. And though we have heard that song many, many times, I want you to notice the words of Sandy Patty's song that you've just heard and how it graphically paints a dramatic picture of that dark, defining Friday in human history. Note the words, down the Via Dolorosa in Jerusalem that day. The soldiers tried to clear the narrow street. The crowd pressed in to see this man condemned to die on Calvary. He was bleeding. There were stripes upon his back. And he wore a crown of thorns upon his head. And he bore with every step the scorn of those who cried out for his death. The blood that would cleanse the souls of all men made its way through the heart of Jerusalem, down the Via Dolorosa, called the way of suffering. Like a lamb, the Messiah, Christ the King, he chose, notice, he chose to walk that road out of his love for who? For you. And for me, down the Via Dolorosa, all the way to Calvary. On the day of Jesus' crucifixion, many eyewitnesses in the crowd 
that they showed up with their minds conditioned with the angriest hatred imaginable. Some in the crowd were delighted to spend an hour just to stare at an astounding spectacle that day. The little hill where those three crosses stood was surrounded by a vicious, cruel, congregated mob. It made no difference whether it was because of hatred or shamelessness. Many of those present unanimously joined in the ridiculing of the victim that hung on that center cross. They stuck out their tongues at him. Some nodded their heads as if to say, yeah, serves you right. Others ridiculed and jeered. Some taunted him in words and others with gestures. But they all triumphed over the defenseless man who was being slaughtered as prey that day. Our text today is Luke chapter 23, verses 44 through 49. It'll be on the screen, but if you have your Bibles, we invite you to follow along. And one of the first things that we see in the text is the deep sorrow of creation. The deep sorrow of creation. How creation responded to what transpired that day. By this time it was noon, and darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. The light from the sun was gone, and suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. Creation had never witnessed a scene like this one before. Never, ever. A scene where so much uncontrolled scorn and open contempt was so unanimously poured on one man for so long. It must have been extremely hideous for Jesus to look into so many grinning faces and mocking eyes and to hear so much cruel and scornful ridicule directly, directly directed at him. Such a spectacle was so detestable that even, for, even creation could not endure it for any amount of time. It was too gross. The scene was so shocking. The Bible says that the sun withheld its light for three solid hours, leaving the vulgar crowd trembling in fear. In a very rare phenomenon, darkness of midnight at midday. They'd never seen it before. In the meantime, as if experiencing overwhelming grief, the earth quivered and shook. As if convulsing with emotional pain under the feet of this vulgar crowd. The rocks cracked and crumbled as the temple, in grieving response to the obvious committed murder of the infinite one, had his holy veil ripped from top to bottom by what seemed like strong, invisible hands for creation. Having to witness its creator suffering such abuse was indeed a cause for deep, deep sorrow. 
And why shouldn't creation respond in such a way? After all, God created everything through him. And nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created. And his life brought light to everyone. He came into the very world he created. But the world didn't recognize him. Creation could not grasp what it was witnessing that dark day. But most evident here is God's awesome power over human minds to tame the wildest and make the most hateful and arrogant cringe with fear when he reveals his displeasure at what was transpiring through the elements of nature. Yes, it was indeed a cause for deep sorrow that dark day. But the text also reveals something else. Verse 47, when the Roman officer overseen the execution, saw what had happened, he worshipped God and said, surely this man was innocent. We see deep sorrow resulting in confession. In such a diverse crowd of those who went home in deep sorrow, let's hope that there were others like this Roman officer there that day. Even though it was, it was the 100 soldiers under his direct command who carried out, who actually carried out the crucifixion. We see that he experienced such deep sorrow that he had to make a confession. He had to confess, surely this man was innocent. What transpired that day had an impact on this man. This hard-hearted man. And we can only hope that there were are, are some others there who experienced deep sorrow when they realized that Christ suffered for their transgression and was bruised for their iniquities. Whoever came to such realization should have and could have been saved that day. Blessed are the eyes that look at the slaughtered lamb in the way this Roman officer did. And happy are the hearts that were broken by sorrow because he was bruised and wounded for their sakes. Beloved, may this be the desire of our hearts this Good Friday. May God's marvelous, matchless grace cause us to see Jesus Christ to see in Jesus Christ what that Roman officer saw that dark day. Nothing less than God <clears throat> manifested in the flesh, hanging on a tree in agony, dying, the just for the unjust, that we might be saved. The confession of this Roman officer challenges each of us today to relax our trust in him and him alone. To express deep sorrow at the very thought that such a victim should have been even necessary for our redemption. And then to allow our deep sorrow to be replaced by joyful praise. 
Because it means that we are his and he is ours forever. So while it is indeed a, a cause for deep sorrow that dark day, the good news is that it resulted in an appropriate confession. And if you are here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Savior, now is a good time to do it. Now is a good time to recognize what that Roman officer recognized. Surely, this man was innocent. He didn't deserve what he was going through. Let that be your realization today. By making a confession of faith in Jesus Christ, the Christ of the cross, you can do that right now in the quietness of your own heart. But then we see something else that the text reveals. The deep sorrow of the crowd. Verse 48. And when all the crowd that came to see the crucifixion saw what had happened, they went home in deep sorrow. Now the terms, the King James uses the term smote the breast. The NASB uses the term beating the breast. And it was an ancient expression of deep, deep sorrow. Whenever a person was going through deep sorrow, that's what they did. It was that expression that was used. And so while the entire crowd experienced deep sorrow, it was not all for the same reason, just as they were not all afraid for the same reason. Yes, the outward manifestations of fear were the same for all in the crowd, but the degrees of that fear was as many as the minds that occupied them. Some in the crowd were only moved with short-lived emotion because of what they saw. The agonizing death of an outstanding man, a man who had done nothing wrong, and the unexpected, stunning response of creation to what transpired that day, both of which persuaded them that Jesus was more than just an ordinary man. And it gave them every reason to be afraid because they'd never seen anything like this before. But what they really had was actually an indefinite fear that was not based on intelligent reasoning at all, but more on how upset they were with God because he had plunged the earth into darkness in the middle of the day, and it literally rocked their world with an earthquake. See, it was this vague fear that really burdened their hearts, causing them to go home with deep sorrow, trembling and humbled. But by the next day, that fear was gone, forgotten. And they were hungry for another bloody spectacle and ready to nail another Christ to the cross if they could find one. In other words, their deep sorrow was not heartbreaking at all. It was merely an April shower, a morning dewdrop that was quickly dissolved when the sun came up. Like a shadow, that emotion was just simply, it just, just simply crossed their minds and left no trace behind. How often 
The preaching of the crucifixion has resulted in similar emotions today. Even all across this land that is happening right now. Even though souls have been saved and tears have been shed, they, have just, they would have just as easily been wiped away in forgotten emotions. The sad truth is that while it may be difficult to move people to tearful grief with the crucifixion account, it's even more difficult to make those emotions permanent. People will get up and walk away and forget what they've seen. But then others in the great crowd of the crucifixion expressed deep sorrow based more on thoughtful reflection. They came to the realization that they had actually participated in the murder of an innocent man. They came to this realization by recalling that that man was not a wrongdoer after all. That he had a reputation for doing nothing but good. That he was known for healing the sick, feeding the hungry by multiplying the bread and, and raising the dead. That nothing he ever taught was contrary to God's law. That he was actually a pure and holy man. They came to that realization. They realized that they had been duped and bamboozled by those priests who egged them on to put an innocent man to death. So with sorrowful regret, they wished that they could instantly bring him back to life. With sorrowful regret, they realized that their race had killed its benefactor. Remember when Pilate says, what shall I do with Jesus? What do you want me to do with him? In Matthew 27, 25, he says, they said, we take responsibility for his death. We and our children. They realized that their race had killed its benefactor. They admitted that they had stuck out their tongues at him because it was almost impossible not to do what everybody else was doing that day. Laughing, ridiculing. And showing disrespect as he was tortured. They were afraid that they had mistreated an innocent man and trembled with fear. That the earthquake and the darkness was God's retaliation for their wickedness in impressing an innocent man. We have often seen this same kind of emotion today by those who have regretted that Christ should have been put to death. Beloved, let us beware of making the cross a commonplace thing with us. Instead, look beyond the sufferings of the innocent man and of Jesus and see upon that tree the atoning sacrifice of Christ or else we will look to the cross in vain. The cross will mean nothing to us. But finally, the text also reveals something else that we need to consider. The deep sorrow of the committed. Again, verse 48. And when all the crowd that came to see the crucifixion saw what had happened, they went home in deep sorrow. Verse 49. And all of his acquaintances and the women who accompanied him from Galilee were standing at a distance seeing these things. You see, the all in this verse 
speak of those committed to Christ. Also, his acquaintances in the crowd on that day and could very well include all of us who are committed to Christ gathered here today. So let's be challenged today with sincere hearts to look at the cross and express our own deep sorrow. By faith, let's imagine ourselves at the foot of Calvary, gazing at that middle cross between two criminals, at the Son of God. God manifested in the flesh, his hands and feet nailed to that accursed symbol of shame and ignominy, dying in more agony than any words could ever express. Look at him. What would have been your response if you were in that crowd on that day, that dark, dark Friday so many years ago? Perhaps Isaac Watts was reflecting on this Calvary scene when he penned these familiar words. Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my sovereign die, would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? Was it for crimes that I had done? He groaned upon the tree. Amazing pity, grace unknown, and love beyond degree. Well, might the sun in darkness hide and shut his glories in? When Christ, the mighty maker, died for man, the creature's sin. Thus might I hide my blushing face while his dear cross appears. Dissolve my heart in thankfulness and melt my eyes to tears. But great drops of blood can never repay the debt of love I owe. Here, Lord, I give myself away. Tis all that I can do. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burdens of my heart were rolled away, it was there by faith. I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. What a blessing for us to be able to hearken those words ourselves. Look sincerely with conviction by staring through tear-filled eyes at him who was once worshipped by angels, but is now dying for the sons of men. Look with attentive eyes at death's destroyer. The death of death's destroyer. Look with heartfelt grief as you remember that you see in him your own sins and declare how great thou art. Because only you could do this for me. Look at that thorn-crowned head that was once crowned with all the royalties of heaven and earth. Look and see the greatness of your sins and mine, which required so vast a sacrifice. And understand this. Understand 
that they must be infinite sins to require an infinite person to lay down his life in order for them to be not just covered, but completely removed. Look, well into the face of Jesus and see how his visage was so marred, so disfigured, as the prophet says. But as we look, let's remember that we can never fully grasp the greatness of our Lord and his essential character and dignity and be unable to understand and be able to understand the blackness and heinousness of the sin which demanded his life as an atonement. Beloved, let's express our deep sorrow today as we think about what they've done to our precious Lord. They have stained his cheeks with their spit. They have lashed his shoulders with a criminal's whip. They gave him a death penalty reserved for the most rebellious Roman criminal. They hung him up between heaven and earth as if he was not fit for either. They stripped him practically naked and exposed him to all his creation. Beloved, what we see here is the shame of our sins. Look and reflect on how his sorrows were so aggravated. As if it was not enough to crucify him, they also had to insult him. And if that was not enough, they had to ridicule his prayers and, 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 make his, and turn his dying cries into jokes and ridicule while trying to force him to drink vinegar. Look into his dear face and see the lines of anguish which reveal a deeper inward sorrow that far exceeds mere bodily pain. God, his father, has forsaken him. God has made him a curse for us. As we prepare our hearts this Good Friday to partake of the Lord's Supper, in remembrance of him, let's reflect on that pivotal event in human history that caused deep sorrow of creation, deep sorrow resulting in confession, deep sorrow of the crowd and deep sorrow of the committed. And let's do so as we watch these closing images.
ότι ένα αφεντικό Brother Pierce has reminded us of the events that took place on that first Good Friday. And I'd like to look as we prepare to celebrate the Lord's Supper this morning briefly at the events that happened the night before. the day of crucifixion. This is recorded in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 26, and in Luke's Gospel, chapter 22, verses 7 through 20. Here we have recorded the Passover feast, the last Passover feast that the Lord Jesus would share with his apostles. And we have recorded the first Lord's Supper that he also shared with his apostles. This is very significant because the Passover was the Jewish feast that they celebrated being led by the Lord out of the land of Egypt. And as we gather around the Lord's table this morning, we gather to remember what Jesus Christ has done for us. Uh, and reading in Luke's Gospel, Chapter 22, verse 14. And when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, 
I have earnestly decided to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And after taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the wine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And that's what we're going to do this morning. We are here as children of our Lord, those who have accepted him as personal savior to remember him in his death and suffering. And that's already been said, if you have not received Christ as your personal savior as yet, you can do it right now and you will be able to participate with us as we remember our Lord's death and his suffering. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads for a few moments in quiet reflection as we examine ourselves. There's nothing in us that makes us worthy to come and participate at this table only because of what Jesus Christ has done for us are we worthy to come today and to participate. The man that our servant, would you please come at this time? And as the elements are served, let's reflect upon Christ's death on our behalf. Thank you. 
Jesus. paid it all. Let's sing about that today.
As the men come forward, if you would like to participate and you've been missed, please just raise your hand so they can see you. Thank you. The ladies sing the first verse.
special occasion, this holy moment, this sacred moment, that we could remember you, Lord, what you have done for us. We thank you for taking, Lord, the nails, for taking the spitting. We thank you, God, for taking the beating for us, Lord. We thank you for leaving heaven's glory and coming down to this sin case earth to become sin for us, that we may be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We thank you, God, for suffering and dying for us, for giving your life for us. Help us out to seek to live for you, Lord, and serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. And as we take this bread, and as we remember the suffering our Lord and Savior went through, as we take it, let us rejoice because of this suffering it has set us free. Shall we partake together? God, our Father, as we reflect upon this day that Jesus Christ gave his life for us, while it's a sorrowful day for the Christians throughout this world, we are fully aware that our eternal life could not have been secured had Christ not suffered and bled and died for our sins on this sorrowful day. Father, it is with humility, with grateful and thankful hearts, we remember the death of Christ, and we take this cup, which represents the blood that was shed for our sins, with grateful and thankful heart to you, dear God, for giving your Son to suffer and bled and die for us. Father, we take this cup in remembrance of that sad day, which we will cherish throughout the endless ages. Thank you, dear God. Amen. As we partake of the cup this morning, it's an emblem, it's a reminder of Jesus' shed blood. The scripture tells us without the shedding of blood, there is no remission from sin. Let's partake of the cup together. I'm not on an ego trip I'm nothing on my own I make mistakes I often slip Just common flesh and bone But I'll prove someday just why I say I'm of a special kind When he was on the cross 
his mind The look of love was on his face Thorns on his head Blood was on that scarlet robe Hands tinted crimson red Though his eyes were on The crowd that day He looked ahead in time For when he was on the cross I was on He the end of the story we would be miserable the disciples and the women when they left the place of the cross on that first good Friday they were downcast they were despondent they were in despair even though our Lord and Savior had told them what was going to happen. As yet, they didn't believe it. And if Friday is all we hold on to, and we leave this place today, we will be in despair. But thank God, Sunday is a coming, and we look forward to that great resurrection day. I'm going to ask you to stand with us as we have our benediction. Our Father, we thank you today that we have been reminded of your great sacrifice that you gave 
through your well-beloved Son. But if all we had to hold on to were the events of that first Good Friday, we would be like the first disciples, miserable and in despair. But we thank you that the God we serve, he is not dead. The angels have proclaimed, he is risen. And we look forward to celebrating that this Lord's Day. Lord, we just pray that as we leave this place, we may go rejoicing because we know our God is alive. Bless us now as we go. In Jesus' name, amen.